when I got sober, I would have traded places with anyone on the planet because I thought their life was that much better than mine in some or all ways. And today, for many, many, many years, I would not be willing to trade places with anybody. And that does not mean I haven't had some very difficult times. It has not been all rainbows and unicorns. But I have the most incredible life. I have incredible people in my life. And today, I have a, a sense of you know being useful. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my little chickadees. That was the voice of Miss June G that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to be hearing so much more from her in just a moment on this here episode number 184 of Sober Speak, but first things first. This episode is brought to you by, sponsored by, if you will, whatever you want to say, Christian and Ian and Trudy and David and Gerhard and Jim. By the way, Jim says, from just another bozo on the Sober Speak bus. (laughs) So you ask yourself, what did Christian and Ian and Trudy and David and Gerhard and Jim do? Well, let me tell you. They went to our website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little, well, it's not yellow anymore. They clicked on the donate tab and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Christian and Ian and Trudy and David and Gerhard and Jim. This episode is coming right out to you. I, John M., as Jim mentioned, just another bozo on the bus. We'll be a chair, we'll be the chairperson, not a chairperson, the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. Want to stay connected to your higher power in between meetings? Just say, Alexa, play Sober Speak podcast. Hey, I kind of like that. All right. So now on to, oh no, you know what just happened? <laughs> I have one of those devices in my room, and I said the word A-L-E-X-A, and it started talking back to me. Oh, no, I hate it when that happens. 
So I have to be careful to either get that out of the room or turn it off if I ever do that again. Nonetheless, if you are in the North Texas area, we have a new AA open meeting on Saturday at noon in Frisco, Texas. This is a in-person meeting. It's an open discussion meeting and all are welcome. If you need more info on that, go to our website, www.soberspeak.com and click on the sober resources tab. All of the information is there. In fact, not only do we have information about that meeting, we also have information about the free recovery yoga class that Megan P. puts on every Sunday at 4 o'clock p.m. Central. And uh, I love it when I can come there and I get to see you all face-to-face, well, not face-to-face, Zoom-to-Zoom, however you say that. You're virtual, but I get to see everybody put a name to a face, and uh, it's just absolutely fantastic. So if you want to join us on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock p.m., once once again, go to the website, SoberSpeak.com, and click on Sober Resources. All right, so Facebook has changed their ways on me, and many of you If you've been listening for quite some time, you know that I will ask you to send me your email that is associated with your Facebook account to moi at john at soberspeak.com. But I can't invite anybody via email anymore. Facebook, I don't know exactly what they're doing and why they did it, but they they do it different. So now you can actually find the Sober Speak Face the Sober Speak Secret Facebook group. Um, by searching for it in Facebook, and you can request to be added to the to the group. Now, nobody can see who is in the group. You can actually see the administrators. I'm one of the administrators there, um, but that's all you can see. I think we, we have two or three administrators, and that's all you can see. Uh, you can't see who is in the group, but uh, you can you can ask to be let into the group uh, via. Uh, Facebook that way. Hopefully all that makes sense. If you have any questions on it, just email me. I'm still trying to figure this out myself at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. I want to read one piece of listener feedback, and we'll have, oh, believe me, plenty of it, plenty of other feedback on the end of this episode. But Johnny writes in, and Johnny's real active, actually, in our uh, super secret Facebook group. And he says, I am listening today, and I wanted to tell you the funniest part of your, quote, resurrection joke was your attempt to explain it after the punchline. <laughs> You'd have to hear last week's uh, <laughs> episode. I forgot about that. That's right. Uh, anyway, uh, resurrection and, uh, there was, anyway, there was a joke. You can go back and listen to last week's, but he says, thank you so much for what you do, John. I'm so very grateful to be part of this community. And I am so excited to be able to share that I have 64 days today. Well, congratulations, Johnny, on your 64 days. That is absolutely fantastic. He says, I've packed so much living into the past couple of months that even the word miraculous is inadequate. Oh, wow. 
Wow, that is great to hear, Johnny. The best part of all this has been my renewed relationship with God. I am truly a man that has been blessed beyond beliefs. And yes, I wrote that sentence exactly as what has happened to me. So let me read it again. I am truly a man that has been blessed beyond beliefs. Nice. He says, I'm brimming full of love and contentment, and all I did was become as willing to be willing as I could muster. Every morning, I decide to be consciously honest and transparent as I can possibly be. The rest has just been falling into place. Woohoo, he says. What a trip all of this has been. All the best. Johnny, with Johnny right back at you. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for participating in the secret Facebook group. And uh, uh, I'm just so glad to be able to uh, share this journey with you. And Johnny also comes to our uh, uh, yoga classes sometimes. And it's been a pleasure to meet him uh, via that channel as well. All right, everybody. Now on to June G part two. If you didn't hear last week's uh, episode, you'll hear June G part one. And uh, this is the lady who got sober at 13 years old. You don't have to go back and listen to last week's, but if you want to listen to both, you could do that at some other time as well. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. June talks about dating and sobriety, attaining her law degree, and what an uphill battle that was, and a quote June heard from another word in the program, which I had never heard before and I absolutely loved, was, I am a gregarious loner. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that. June discusses her experience of being raised Catholic losing her faith and then gaining it back. We talk about how June was adamantly opposed to having children when she was young, but now she has three daughters and what that experience has been like as a mother. So sit back, everybody. Enjoy the ride. Buckle up. We will have plenty, oh, plenty, oh, listener feedback on the end of this episode. Enjoy June G. Okay, everybody, so we are back again for uh, for right now, I'm calling this June G Part 2. Uh, we may come up with a more clever name uh, after this, but anyway, we're back for June G Part 2. So once again, June G, for those who did not catch the first episode, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, uh, give your sobriety date, if you wish, and tell people uh, in what area of the country you live, please. Okay. Um, so my name is June. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is July 13th, 1972, and I live in Southern California. July 13th, 1972. And for those who did not catch it the last time, that is 48 years sobriety. Am I correct there? Yep. Wow. Okay, so we so let me just kind of cover real quick what uh, some of the things that we went over last time. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, your uh, thoughts of suicide as a youngster, the continuous thoughts of suicide, um, your mom, uh, some of your family life, um, your 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 visits with some. Uh, 
for lack of a better term, famous, I guess, AA people, including uh, uh, Chuck C., Chuck Chamberlain, who's passed on now, and what that was like. And uh, I really got a kick out of that, by the way. <laughs> Just, uh, he would go on and on and on. <laughs> Not really uh, getting right to what you wanted to get the solution for, but I get it. Uh, a lot of the old timers do that, right? Um, so, and the other thing we we kind of we, we we talked about briefly was the fact that you ended up getting sober at the age of thirteen, and so. I never really did get to flesh that out very much at all. So let me ask you. So when you came in and you were 13 and you're sitting there in the rooms of AA, and as you said, they, they knew your mom also, correct? A, a lot of them. A lot of people. Uh, so, so you're sitting there, you're 13. Did, was it an uphill battle of any sort, especially, you know, you're, to me, it's a, a combo. You're, you're 13 and you're a woman, well, slash, you know, young lady, I guess. So what was that like for you? You know, in part, I almost feel like I didn't have the same experience that people think of about someone 13 coming to AA because I, I think I may have mentioned last week, but I felt 2000 when I got sober. I didn't feel my age. I think I was well over 10 years sober before I got anywhere near getting close to feeling like I was the age that I was. It took a really long time to heal. Um, And I already felt like, and of course I was dramatic. I can see I was incredibly self-centered. I was filled with self-pity. I wore a giant victim cape you know, and I had some good reasons for it, of course, which we usually do. Um, But I did not feel like a teenager. And in the years that I was getting sober, there were teenagers that came in, um, of course, and people would often ask me to work with them. But I felt like I was talking to like one of my grandchildren. Some of them were like, they were really 15. You know, they'd had a couple of, you know, bad months of drinking and some bad things had happened and emotionally, you know, and truthfully, many of them did not get sober then and came back five or 10 years later after they continued to drink. Because, of course, if you come to AA frequently, it's because there's something wrong with your drinking. And then a lot of people leave and confirm that there's really something wrong with their drinking, you know. Um, So. I think in hindsight that I was so broken and felt so old. I think that helped me stay sober from that age. Mm. Um, And so what was your impression of, uh, you know, this is nearly 50 years ago now. Uh, There weren't very many women at all in the program. I mean, there were some, or or maybe I'm wrong. Tell me what was your impression? experience like with uh, uh, women, uh, females in general coming into the program? Well, again, you know, I I just like to emphasize that my experience is unique. Um, So first of all, I didn't, I didn't want to be a female or a girl myself. I didn't like other girls. I didn't like sitting next to women. I didn't really like women. I didn't like listening to women speakers. Um, because I just didn't feel like I could relate. 
So again, I don't know if I'm the best source of information, but there were definitely women. It wasn't, uh, I, I, I would probably say though, it was certainly more men than women. Um, but I was very fortunate because I got sober in an area, and I can't remember if I mentioned this to you last time, where there were a number of the first generation members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of them was a woman named Sybil, who was the first woman to get sober west of the Mississippi. So Sybil got sober in 1941. And when she got sober, as I said, being the first woman, she was the only woman a number in a number of meetings in those days. And I met her in my first 30 days. Um, and so, and we developed a friendship over the years. Let's turn a corner a little bit and go here into the, uh, we, we talked a, a, a lot last time about, you know, kind of coming up into Alcoholics Anonymous and what it was like for you as a child and, you know, what led up to that point. Do you remember, and by the way, so now we're going to do our best, right, in a short period of time as we did to cover the 48 years, but we'll see how we do, right? But do you remember going to your, your first meeting and what that was like? In my whole life, my first meeting or my yeah. first meeting for me? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, because you were there with your mom at other times, right? Yeah. I guess I'm talking about your first meeting for you. I do. I definitely, I remember, I, I wasn't exactly going for me yet. I was being brought because I was in a lot of trouble uh, and I did not get sober for about two weeks. Um, I wasn't, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't want to be in AA. I didn't like being in AA. I didn't want to be like my mother who was in AA. I didn't want anything to do with that AA. But I kept coming back for two weeks because there was a drinking friend of my mother's who was sober. He drank in those really violent bars that my mom drank in. And he was a man. And so I was asking him a lot of questions and explaining to him all the reasons why I really could not possibly be alcoholic, which I found out later, non-alcoholics never spend time doing that. <laughs> okay. So you're talking to this guy and I mean, was it love at first sight then after that moment with Alcoholics Anonymous? Uh, you know, oh, no. What was that? Okay. What was that conversation like? And, uh, you know, what are the ensuing couple of uh, years after that like? Did you warm up to it? Well, you know, I did. And of course, you know, life, uh, I don't know, there's, you know, certainly a lot of sayings about, you know, hindsight being 2020. So I was not grateful when I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous in, in a lot of different ways. I was so racked with self-pity and I felt sorry for myself. I didn't get to have the 15 or 20 party years that I imagined everybody else got to have before their drinking got bad, you know? Um, and I felt sorry for myself that I had to be, you know, in AA. emotionally life has always been very hard for me, which is, um, I imagine true of many people, which is why alcohol worked so well because I could just avoid any kind of emotional struggles. So, you know, in the years that I was sober to watch people, they had dated and gotten married while drinking, which is, by the way, I still believe easier than dating sober. I think dating sober is very hard and scary. Hmm. So, um, so let's go into that a little bit. So what, what do you mean by 
it is harder to date sober. Talk, talk to me about that a lot. Well, I think that most of us, even when we re- read our literature in the big book, and if you talk to most people, most people begin drinking or do a lot of their drinking for so, as a social lubricant. They're a little nervous as they go to a party. I imagine, you know, having never been a man, of course, but I think it must be incredibly hard to walk across a room and, and say to someone, hi, would you like to dance? I think that must be very hard. Um, but I imagine if you've had a couple of drinks, whether you're an alcoholic or not, uh, it won't hurt your feelings as much if they say no. And you could even, you know, blame it on the fact that you were a little drunk or you never would have talked to her kind of a thing. I, you know, so I think that there's a lot of experiences that alcohol, you know, helps in society. Um, again, whether you're alcoholic or not. I And so for me, having always felt like I had no emotional insulation and life always hurt so much, that's why alcohol was so important to me. And of course, being alcoholic, I overdid it so that I felt no emotion rather than using it to kind of help. But that's just the way I drank. And I think that's a big part of why I got sober so young is that I just went from A to Z. But being sober, I still believe, you know, for me, even all these years later, I am still socially awkward at times. It's very hard for me to go to an event where I don't know anybody and just say, hi, how are you? How many children do you have? What sign are you? You know, and then when you're dating, I mean, it's even harder. So I heard a woman say something in a meeting. I thought this was perfect. She said, I'm a gregarious loner. Thought that is the perfect description of me because people see me and they think, oh, she's, you know, I can do that for a few minutes, but I'm actually, it's very hard to have little conversations in a awkward, you know, in a social situation where I don't know people. I love that. I'm a gregarious loner. And, you know, I could relate to that myself. Uh, People would probably see me as a. Very outgoing, but I definitely need my uh, uh, downtime. You know, know, there's all those, uh, I guess you call it, uh, not polls, but uh, tests that they give you, whether you're an introvert or you're an extrovert and all that sort of stuff. I'm I'm right down the middle. This is, uh, and you know, sometimes it's easier just to be one or the other, you know, either you know you're an introvert or you're an extrovert, but um, this is where I get my uh, gregarious part out, <laughs> and then I kind of go into the woodworks. So, okay, so when you came to uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, my guess is at 13, well, you tell me your, your spiritual life. What was it like when you came in? How has it progressed through the years? And what would, if you had to put some sort of mm, label on it at this point in your life, could you, or does it even matter? Talk to me about your spiritual journey throughout Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, that's going to be hard to give you a short answer in 40 of the 48 years, but I'll I'll try a little bit. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, I felt like I lost my faith before, uh, during my drinking and during so many of the bad things that happened in my life. Um, I think I always believed there was something, but I was more afraid of it rather than comforted by it. And that's pretty much how I arrived in AA, I'd say. Um, 
over the years, I think one of the great things that has happened is that I have completely healed and come to find tremendous value in Catholicism, not for me, but for my family and for others that I have seen it do as a community, very many of the same things that Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. But that took a long time. Um, But I think that's a really important thing that Alcoholics Anonymous can help us do in our spiritual journey. The the most important thing that ever happened for me on on a spiritual basis, because I've often felt in these years that I am not doing it right, or I'm not doing it enough, or I don't, you know, I've had conscious contact at times, and then I haven't, and I've pondered it and thought about it and, you know, worried about it and felt like a bad member of AA about it. Um, And when I was fairly new, Sybil's husband, Bob Corwin, um, I heard him speak, and he talked about, he was at a meeting, a young girl was reading the fifth chapter, and she got to the very end, the ABCs, and she started to cry. And Bob had been sober many years at this time, and he didn't really listen to chapter five anymore, as many of us don't, as we've been listening to it for thousands of times. We sort of float in and out. At least I do. I can't speak for others. And because she started to really cry, that got his attention. And you could feel, he said, the whole room was kind of rooting for her to get through it. Come on, you're going to get through it. They weren't saying that out loud, but she was just, (laughs) you know, like that. I mean, really crying. And then she said, see, God couldn't would if he were sought. And Bob said, even though he was sober many years, he had always heard in his mind that it said God couldn't would if he were found. And Bob had never found his. He still considered himself an atheist um, and to some extent did throughout the years of his sobriety. But he said, maybe the closest I'll ever get will be in the seeking. And for me, that has comforted me to believe that maybe that's enough. Just that I'm willing to listen, that I'm willing to try different things, that I'm open-minded about that. And I am very comforted for me with the idea that it is all a mystery. And I don't know. And I'm very happy that other people feel more comfort and they do know. And that's great. And I believe it. I don't uh, discount what they say for them. But I'm very comfortable with the idea that it's really a mystery and that it can change and be fluid and I can stay sober, obviously, and have a very happy, wonderful life, even though I haven't got a little firm definition, as many people have, which I know they all work. That's right. Whatever works for you. Um, Let me take a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with June G in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeakAllOneWord.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Miss uh, June G. I, I, I want to also talk about, we, we touched on this a little 
last time, but not a lot. Uh, so uh, you you mentioned that you have children. So I want to talk about kind of your your family life, how that evolved throughout sobriety. So talk about your family, how it's taken shape. Uh, you know your your kids. Do they live there? You know near you in Southern California? Just whatever you want to say about your family life. So I had always planned to never have children. Um, and I felt that way more strongly than I can possibly explain to you um, in those early years of sobriety, because I really felt like the world was not a place that anyone should ever bring a child. And um, so it took a long time again in sobriety. Um, I did get married, um, my ex-husband now, but he really wanted to have children. I would have preferred to consider adoption or a foster child because I had grown up in foster homes. Um, but, you know, in the course of this relationship, I decided I would be willing to try to and have a child. How old were you when you got married the first time? Approximately. 29. 29. Okay. So you mm-hmm. waited a while. Yeah. We had gone out for seven years before we got married. I was finished with graduates. I didn't want to get married until I was finished with graduate school. It was important to me. I come from a pretty traditional family, and they were more excited about the fact that I was going to marry a lawyer than that I was going to be one. <laughs> okay, so, so I had that little ego thing going for me that I wanted to be at my own before, which doesn't really matter in the long run, I guess, but it was important to me. Did you so, meet him in the program or outside? I met him in law school, not in, well, not in the program. Gotcha. So I was 11, 10, 10, a little over 10 years sober when I met him. Um, and, um, and then we were together for 25 years. So after we'd been together, you know, while he really wanted to have a child and it was important to him that it be his child or, you know, our child. And so I decided that we would try it. I had some um, difficulties. I'd had a lot of physical difficulties, I believe from in large part from the damage that I had done to my body with all of the drinking and chemicals that I'd done so young, but I don't know that conclusively. Anyway, and so I needed to get some uh, fertility, you know, help in different ways, not as dramatic as many people have had to go through, but some, and I did have a couple of miscarriages. um, And then I got pregnant and had my daughter. And um, I was terrified. I had never held a baby. I had never changed a diaper. Um, and I was really, really scared. And there weren't very many people in Alcoholics Anonymous who were anywhere near my age, you know, who had had children in sobriety. So it was a kind of an isolated time frame at that time, um, which was a little bit weird, you know, as far as reaching out, you know, and asking for advice, which is something that I think is very important asking for people to share their experience in sobriety. But anyway, um, I, because as I mentioned, I needed fertility help the second, the first time I was quite shocked to find out at six months when I was very exhausted and I went to the doctor that I was actually pregnant with another one and um, had not had any fertility help. And I was just like completely overwhelmed. And I was a very, very, very driven career person. And so having two kids, you know, within a year, my own Irish twins unintentionally 
it was, there was just a lot of emotional things going on. I had not planned that. I'm a planner. I hadn't planned that. Uh, it was a huge setback or at the time it felt like a setback career-wise um, because it completely derailed my rise going up because they'd never had anyone in my office have two children that were on the career path that I was on. A couple people had one, most people had none, you know, and I was, you know, so here I was. And again, I was still scared, you know, about being a mom. Um, but I really felt, and I did a lot of, you know, talking. I talked to some Al-Anon people, AA people. And I felt for me that my kids were really, the, they, they were going to have to become the most important focus. And so I pulled away from that driven career um, and accepted the fact that I was not going to be promoted and moved up in the way that I had foreseen my career going. And it was a painful adjustment, but I knew for me it was the right thing. And so um, I had a few more miscarriages, you know, through the course of those years. I had another um, daughter. So I have three daughters, which is also very funny because I already mentioned to you, I didn't want to be a girl. I didn't know how to be a girl. I didn't, I'm not a makeup wearing girl. I have curly hair and all my kids were born with relatively straight or wavy hair. And they wanted to ask me questions as they grew up. You know, how do you curl your hair? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, how do you wear makeup? I don't know. You know, um, they, and also the wearing of pink apparently can skip a generation because I didn't wear pink and all my girls are willing to wear pink. So it's been a real learning experience for me. Oh, that's great. It's so, um, Oh, that's really cool. I'm assuming they all know about your career, so to speak, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, You know, they do. They all know about, you know, but they all live in, they live in three different states now. Only one of them lives anywhere near me. Um, They've, they've all gone to colleges far away, which I think is kind of exciting because I realized that like in my whole life, I think I may have mentioned this to you separate from the taping, but I moved you know, a couple of years ago, an hour away from LA. And that's the farthest I've ever lived, you know, on a regular basis. And all three of my kids have lived in, um, I think at least three States in their life already. And they're still in their twenties. So I, I think it's kind of cool that they've had that freedom to do that, even though I miss them a lot. Um, and they do know, they've always known that I'm uh, in AA, but they were not, and, and they, I didn't take them to meetings. Um, but they've gone to conventions and played in the pool and, you know, met lots of my friends. And I have friends that are not in AA also, uh, but most of my friends are in AA and they'll ask me sometimes, they'll go, is that one an alcoholic? And I go, yep, that one is, you know, they're always kind of, you know, surprised. And uh, sadly, they've gotten to know some of the people that we love that have drank again and have not, you know, and it's been really painful for them to see people die or, you know, drink again and get arrested that they care about, you know, and they can't believe it in the way that all of us feel when we know someone who's sober, that's doing so great. And then we see a, you know, a setback like that. Um, One of the things that's interesting, John, is about my one daughter, who's probably when she was probably about 25, she said to me, she goes, you know, mom, she goes, I never really appreciated how lucky we are that you were sober. She said, because you've always been sober. So it's like, you know, my mom's just sober. She said, but you know, she, my daughter is, she's very social and she has 10 really, really close friends. You know, um, they're still friends. They've been friends since sixth grade. And she said, every one of those families has someone in it 
with alcoholism or drug addiction that is just so painful. Sometimes it's a parent, you know, sometimes it's one of the siblings, you know, one of the parents didn't show up, the dad couldn't show up at the graduation, you know, his high school graduation for the daughter. And she was just devastated. And he's one of the greatest guys in the world. And he'd been sober and she thought he was going to be there and he got drunk and he didn't make it. And, you know, just watching that girl at graduation, you know, so anyway, um, and all of my kids have asked me to talk to different friends or family, their friends, family members, and take them to meetings at different times. So they know I'm in AA, but they're not, um, they don't know about it as much as you and I do. Right. It's how kind of we are with, with my kids. In fact, uh, my son once, so when, when he was younger, uh, we used to call them prayer meetings. And, uh, one day I was going out the door and, uh, uh, he says, where are you going, daddy? I said, well, I'm going to a prayer meeting. He said, you really do like those prayer meetings, daddy. <laughs> yeah, I used to tell him that I was going to uh, to tell some people thank you that it helped me a lot. Oh, be- oh that, that's so. good. That's, I really like that way of putting it. So we're kind of getting to the uh, end of our time. Do you, is there anything in particular? I mean, you know, you've you've got an open mic. Uh, is there anything in particular that you want to relay regarding your experience, strength, and hope with those who are listening out there, those who may be uh, hopeless, those who may be, maybe they're sober curious as they call it nowadays right and they just don't know whether or not they should or should not come in the rooms i know we don't quote give advice if you will but anything you want to share um yeah i'll try and wrap up a few different things i mean one thing was that different times in my life and i suppose maybe in in everybody's but maybe more so with people who get sober young there definitely were times where i would think am i really an alcoholic or did I just have a really bad background and a couple of bad months or years or experiences, you know? And I just remember one of the old timers say, you know, it'd be a lot better to be in here by mistake than to be out there by mistake. And, um, and you know, and I would read chapter three again, and I would realize that I never wanted to control. You know, that was not anything that ever appealed to me. So I can see very quickly, I don't, I don't want to control. I want to enjoy. And if enjoying does not mean control for me. I go way past, you know, that point. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the things I would say in the hope field is that I didn't believe Alcoholics Anonymous could work for somebody like me. I just was sure that I was too damaged, too broken, too hurt. Um, and what I love about AA is that you don't have to believe that it'll work for you for it to work. If you do what we do and you stay close, um, to the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as I heard someone say just on Zoom this year, you know, and we are careful not to let the life that AA gives us take us away from AA, mm-hmm. you know, um, then we really have a chance. And, you know, I, in the years I came into the program and at 13, I had no education, I had no money, I hated everyone, most of all myself. Um, I didn't have any hope, really, I didn't have any dreams. And along the way in Alcoholics Anonymous, I got some hope and I got some dreams. And then I had people show me and share with me the footwork I needed to do to start making my dreams come true. And I did those things. A lot of that footwork was based on the service work that I was taught in the very beginning in AA, which probably the single most important thing I've ever been told is you don't drink no matter what. 
And the second thing is you always show up for your AA commitments and you are a regular attendee of meetings and service in AA. And I've done that even though I've had a rotten attitude and I've known it wouldn't work. And sometimes I think I even went to show him it wouldn't work, but I did it anyway. Um, and I think those things, they, those are skills that took over into the rest of my life because, you know, those people that you work for, your bosses, they love when you show up. Showing up is very big at work, you know, as a mom, showing up is very big. It's like they really like that showing up thing. And these are skills that I learned in my early months of sobriety that have carried over into all these other areas, you know, of my life. So one of the things I'd want to say is that, you know, when people hear my story um, and they learn that I went to school for eight years, um, supporting myself with a lot of really crappy jobs because I only had that seventh grade education, but that I eventually was able to become a lawyer. Um, and have a job that I love very much, where I believe I'm able to be of service, where I never once went to work, where I wasn't reminded of where alcoholism takes people like me, you know, um, and a lot of other people that, you know, that are suffering from alcoholism. So, you know, I've had that privilege of being of service and doing that. And so some people might say that's the success was that she came from the streets of Venice and now she's become a lawyer. And that is a success. And it was a huge amount of work. Um, it wasn't a magic thing where I worked the 12 steps and I suddenly got became a lawyer. You know, um, there was a lot of additional work in addition to the steps. But truly, what I think the great gift that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me is it's given me the, the ability to change my attitude so much so that when I got sober, I would have traded places with anyone on the planet because I thought their life was that much better than mine in some or all ways. And today, for many, many, many years, I would not be willing to trade places with anybody. And that does not mean I haven't had some very difficult times. It has not been all rainbows and unicorns, you know, since I came to AA. But I have the most incredible life. I have incredible people in my life. You know, I have been relieved of the bondage of self and that attitude shift where I was so wrapped up in being feeling sorry for myself and today i have a, a sense of you know being useful and happy as it talks about in the 12 and 12 i have become happily and usefully whole not every minute by the way i'm not perfect i'm a human being but it's been i i'm amazed by it myself still so that's what i'd kind of say keep coming back to anybody and don't drink no matter what find someone to help i love it june so you know i wanted to uh, bring this up also because you're the first one to ever ask me this you know i i i you know we have a lot of episodes i think it's like uh by the time uh, 180 or so something like that now and you know part of the 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 challenge or the upkeep if you will with uh this podcast is continuing to feed the beast right in other words finding new speakers and getting them in there such like that and so you had been recommended me as we talked about on the first one by lee why and i loved it because when i i got in touch with you as you know we went kind of back and forth for a while and you got me on the phone you said let's let's talk about this for a sec because you know you share your story quite often. And I, and I can see why you do, right? And you're a very much a wanted uh, speaker within the Alcoholics Anonymous realm. But you said, 
you know, and you're talking, you're talking about how you share your story a lot. And then you kind of said, what, what value are we going to add by me coming on this podcast? And, and I loved it. And I had to think about it. You know, I mean, why would you want to do this? And because your story is, I mean, you know, if somebody looks up June G and Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to find your story all over the place. Right. And, uh, but I just, I absolutely loved it that you posed that question to me. I had to think about it a little bit. We had a little bit of a conversation and finally you acquiesced and agreed to come on the uh, podcast. And you've never been on a podcast before. Or am I right? I have not. I've you know I've started listening to them a few years back. My daughter told me about some different ones, um, and then I've, you know some friends. You know, not about alcoholics. You know, I mean just general, you know, informative podcasts. And I found them quite fascinating. Um, but I wasn't really sure what the the difference would be than listening to a uh, a tape on or not a tape, but you know, a recording on your phone anyway. And I listen to a lot of CDs of people I've never met, and they've helped me tremendously, you know, over the years. So I really do believe that there is value to having those out there. I just didn't really see what's so different about this. And it, it made me a little bit nervous. I mean, honestly, as I think I said to you, I, I would rather not be on YouTube. I don't fully understand social media at all. Um, I, I'm more comfortable with the idea of being on some kind of a a website that's run by someone in the program that's free. And I just want to be sure that people know that anything I'm doing, I'm not being paid. I'm, you know, just showing up because AA was free for me and it's really important. And so I worry that it can get, uh, you know, complicated or confusing. And, um, and so I think that was part of it too, was the, you know, the idea, just making sure that people know, you know, that, uh, that I, I, I think it's the most, one of the most important things is that it stay free, that we don't have dues or fees, you know, and that if you can contribute to support anything you want to support, certainly your central office, general service office, sober speak, if that's what you wish, uh, you know, certainly these tapers, especially during this Zoom thing have done phenomenal job of, you know, keeping people connected. So I think it's an important service. And I asked one of my friends in, you know, and he said I needed to get in the 21st century. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and just so you know, I mean, we do, I mean, I do ask for contributions, but everything 100%, and we talked about this, right? Goes right back into the uh, podcast. And, and, um, the other thing is that I, I, I make sure that we don't use last names. And, you know, every once in a while, I'm sure there's been a slip and somebody can find something. But for the most part, it is a rule that we don't use last names. And I don't put your image out there either. Um, as you know, that's a uh, tradition in Alcoholics Anonymous because this is basically internet radio. Right. So this is at the level of press, radio uh, and film. Um, so I'm real careful about that. And, you know, and there are other podcasts that. They don't care about that as much. Uh, it's not their thing. But I, uh, my uh, sponsor keeps me very uh, straight and narrow with all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so anyway, well, I, I hope it was a good experience for you. And now you can tell your daughter you are a podcast star. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, thank you again. I'm going to read uh, page 164 from the big book, kind of wrap us up here. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. 
Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you like me and June G, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, June G, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, John. Nice to meet you. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Thank you, June G, again, for taking time out of your schedule to spend it with me. You are an absolute treasure in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I could not be more appreciative that you took time to spend it with me and you allow me to share your story with the Sober Speak listeners. That was absolutely fantastic. If you were listening today and that had a positive impact on you, please pause your device and share it with another friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Remember, we don't want you sharing gossip, but we would love for you to share this episode. Now, on to a little bit of a, well, a lot of listener feedback. Robert DMs via Instagram, the gram. Is that a cool way to say it? The gram? I've heard somebody else do that recently, and I thought, I am going to have to adapt that. The gram. Nonetheless, Robert says, hi, John. I hope you're doing well and keep up the great work. Thank you for being there and asking your listeners to pray for me last November. I have no idea if anyone did or didn't, but I do know that I haven't had a drink since that and my life has turned around dramatically. I choose to believe that it's the love and support of everyone around me that includes all members of AA wherever they are that has helped me get back on track. I found a higher power that I realized was always there. I just didn't know how to shut up and listen to it. I can relate to that, Robert. Perhaps learning how to shut up and listen has been a problem for a lot of people in AA. So that's what I'm going to keep doing. God bless you, sir. Robert. Well, Robert, that just makes my day. I'm so happy to hear from you. God bless you, my friend. Keep coming back. It works. Brittany. Oh, Brittany wrote me. Okay, so here's what happened. Brittany wrote me a message via Facebook on our secret Facebook page. And she was asking about the five things that, quote, somebody talked about. She believed it was David, but she didn't write it down and she didn't know exactly where it was. So what it is, is David G., um, talked about this uh, concept of five alive. A lot of people here in the North Texas area use it. I'm not sure if it's used in other areas of the country uh, or other countries, but uh, I wrote to David and I asked uh, David G if he could write down for me, please, what the five alive process is for staying sober. And he did. And it's one, two, three, four, five. I'll go ahead and say them right now. Uh, I'm trying to think of how I could get this out there. I could put it in the show notes. Uh, anyway, um, if somebody really needs this, just write me at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I will forward this on to you. And uh, So anyway, David wrote down, number one is get on my knees in the morning and ask God to keep me sober. Two is read AA literature. Three, 
go to a meeting. Four, talk to another alcoholic. And five, thank God for my sobriety before I go to sleep. So for those of you who may be trying to write that down, I'm going to go ahead and repeat this one more time. Once again, this is the five alive, and I think I've heard it's called something else, but it's basically five things to do every day to stay sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. One, Get on my knees in the morning and ask God to keep me sober. Two, read AA literature. Three, go to a meeting. Four, talk to another alcoholic. And five, thank God for my sobriety before I go to sleep. Just wanted to throw that out there because I have had that question a few times and I thought I'd go ahead and repeat it for those listening in. Whitney! Writes in, and Whitney says, Hey, John, Whitney from Louisville, Kentucky again. I was taken by surprise the other day when I was listening to your podcast and heard one of my emails read. Well, guess what, Whitney? You're going to hear it again. It was pretty cool, she says. I absolutely love listening to your podcast. I listen to at least one episode a day while I'm working. Today on the episode, I was listening to the topic of, and the topic of sponsorship was mentioned. I would love to hear a future episode focused on sponsorship. Also, I was curious. Okay. So let me cover that first. Whitney, you are in luck. If you go look for episode number 166 on Sober Speak, we did a whole episode devoted specifically to sponsorship because I'd gotten so many questions about it. And episode number 166 is called Sponsorship, Let the People Speak. And basically what I did is I sent out a message to all to a lot of different people and I asked them to record their thoughts on sponsorship. They gave it to me and we put it out as an episode. So there you go. And she says, also, Whitney says, I was curious where you got your speakers from. Have a great day and keep up the amazing work. You are helping so many people through your podcast. Well, thank you, Whitney. Where do I get my speakers from? Well, that is a good question. You know, I've also thought in the past, I get a lot of questions about the podcast. Like, how did you start it? Um, you know, where do you get your guests? I also get people asking me about the technology I use. I get a lot of different questions about it. I've thought about doing a whole episode just on that, uh, if I can ever get myself organized enough to do it. But nonetheless, well, when I first started in terms of getting my guests that I have on here, I would go to my local AA meeting and the local club and the Frisco group and some other groups that I go to. And I would hear somebody talk and I'd say, I really like what they have to share. I'd like to share what they're sharing with the Sober Speak audience. And I would grab them and I would just bring them back to my house. And I would record them and they'd say, what are we doing again? I say, it's called a podcast. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. I don't think anybody's going to be listening. Just play along with me. <laughs> Okay, and so that's how I did it in the uh, in the beginning, and then it got to kind of be a mix between people that I had met in meetings, and then people that uh, I was referred to and such. And so I would say primarily though nowadays. What happens is I record one of these guests. Uh, they're absolutely fantastic, and they know a lot of people out there who are 
either circuit speakers or just good speakers or good people and they and they and they refer them over to me and so you know i i i hate to say but i can't record everybody that wants to be recorded on here and i've had several people ask me and quite honestly in the past i've had some challenges on what i call blind dates um and and it's not turned out to be a good experience and it wasn't good for either them or for me so now i i just generally speaking, will go with people that I can either hear uh, online or, you know. Oh, and here's the other deal, that it's actually much harder than you think to find these particular speakers. In other words, how do I put this? So, especially in the beginning, okay, so I would hear somebody online, uh, maybe a speaker tape that I really loved. And then you think, okay, well, how do I find these people? We are an anonymous organization, right? We don't have some sort of public listing out there where you can go find, you know, John M. Uh, and here's his email and his phone number. And here's his story all wrapped into one, right? There, there, you, there's just not that kind of network. Um, so, oh gosh, finding people's uh, contact information sometime is, is hard. And then you go out and you find them and then you kind of have to have this discussion with them about, okay, well, this is what a podcast, I mean, some people know what a podcast is, right? Most people have at least heard of it, but then you got to kind of get them over the hump of, wait a sec, you know, this is not what I'm used to doing. I'm used to giving my talk from a podium, but I don't know if I want this guy named John M. interrupting me. So anyway, it's a whole long story. But anyway, but thank you for asking that question and hopefully it kind of clears it up for you. Josie writes in, and by the way, I could not figure out what Josie's name was. And so I was going back and forth with her. She And I said, is your name Josie? Josephine? What is it? She says, uh, Josie is fine, John. Smiley face. Josephine is the Norwegian's way to spell uh, uh, Josephine. Oh, 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 there, there's, it, it's a little bit different than <laughs> There's an F as opposed to a PH. And then she's got an upside down smiley face. She says, thank you so much for accepting me into the Facebook group. Well, no problem, Josie. I appreciate it. I live in Norway, as you may have guessed. Yes, I guess that. She says, I have been in AA on and off for about 20 years. I've never been to treatment and I've had some backslides. I'm a binge drink, binge drinker type alcoholic. Just moved to a new place a couple of years ago and found a group here that I really like. So things are much more on track now and I'm happier every day. I appreciate your podcast. I think it's great. You're very good at what you do. I don't even really know what I do, but thank you, Josie. I appreciate it. Your show has been a lifesaver in these COVID times. Oh, and we've cut, we've had to close down our meetings for a while as we've had to close down our meetings for a while. They're back now, thankfully. Good, good, Good to know, Josie. Uh, I seem to remember I just put sober in the search bar to find you on ACAST. That's a podcast player. She says, I think every speaker you've ever had on has something that resonated with me. It's like going to a meeting in that and where all the speakers are relatable. Thank you so much for what you do. It's very much appreciated. I recommended your cast. Ooh, she's got a little lingo going there. Your cast to the people in my AA group as well. 
Sorry if my English is a bit clumsy. It's my second language. Hope you have a beautiful day. Hugs from Josie. Well, hugs back out to you, Josie, and your English is just absolutely fantastic. It's much better than my Norwegian. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. That was uh, you, you're, uh, you, I wouldn't have known. You were from Norway if you hadn't have told me. And so you did absolutely fantastic, Josie. And once again, hugs right back at you. And everybody in your group, give them a big happy hug from me, if you will. Christian writes in, he says, Hi, John, my name is Christian. I'm an alcoholic and I live in Pittsburgh, PA, Pennsylvania. I'm a father, a brother, a boyfriend, a home health care worker, and a member of AA for six and a half years. I found your podcast from a Google podcast search for AA speakers or quote AA unquote or something like that. Your podcast brings me peace joy, and recovery reminders when I am struggling. I also admire you and your fearless blind drive dive into making a podcast. Wait, <laughs> it was a, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was fearless, but it was a blind dive and I had no idea what I'm doing. Some days I still think I don't know what I'm doing, but he says, Christian says, I struggle with pursuing new things because of nagging perfectionism. And I'm inspired by your story. I think you're doing an amazing job. You just get better every week. Well, thank you, Christian. That's very, very kind. Matthew M. on your podcast is hands down my favorite. His surrenders, the story of his, his marriage, I fantasize about being his sponsee. Well, I got those two in contact, and I hope everything is working out with them. He says, I've struggled a little with sponsorship and Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm too picky, or maybe I listen to the best of the best on your podcast and set my bar too high, or maybe I'm looking for a deep, meaningful friendship, and that's hard to come by. But I'm a little envious of the friendships I see and hear in your podcast. Thank you so much for your podcast and the great cast of characters. (laughs) that you introduced to your audience. You've helped this alcoholic and no doubt many others and that you'll most likely never hear about all. I, uh, I'm grateful to have found your podcast, Christian. Well, like I said, I got Christian and Matthew together and I hope that they can work out something there. And, uh, you just keep coming. You just keep coming back, Christian. I know it's all going to work out for you because you're doing all the right things. Sarah writes in and she says, Hey, John, I listened to an episode that said it was no longer unsearchable. Oh, she's talking about uh, the Facebook group and what I announced on the beginning of, uh, uh, the, the, the podcast today and about how you, how you can find the super secret Facebook group by just searching for it. She says, I am a mother, uh, uh, 41 years old, uh, two mother of two and they're 24 and 18. I didn't start drinking other than a few occasions in my youth until the age of around 25 to 27. I ended up a heavy drinker, blaming it on the marriage I was in. After that marriage ended, I went for a year and a half sober. I don't remember 
uh, it being too hard to quit. Then I started drinking again. I decided to start dating again. Liquid courage since I have severe social anxiety. Thinking back, I went from controlled drinking to out-of-hand drinking in cycles around two years ago in a relationship with a true narcissistic devil. During and after that, I started using any and every excuse to drink, bored at home at night, outings with the girlfriends, depression, anxiety to relax, you know the drill. A year ago, I got drunk and tried to overdose. It didn't work, and my sisters had me committed to a mental place for a week that only fueled my rage and kept me away from my family for a long time. The, quote, hospital, unquote, was horrible and didn't help anything. I started dating a new guy last April and hid my drinking very well usually, switching out wine boxes without him or anyone else else knowing that. I've heard of this trick before. Anyway, she said, um, I had already blown through one box, which is four bottles, in one or two days, hiding the little cartons in the car and suitcase or travel or a travel bag. This working from home is not compatible with me. Drinking started the first thing in the morning and lasted until I passed out. Uh, a month ago, I got extremely upset by something the boyfriend did and decided I was tired of not being good enough for anyone. Tried not being productive, try, oh, oh excuse me, tired of not being productive, tired of being uh, a shitty mother, daughter, and sister, tied, tried, <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> tired of the depression, not being understood, and just tired of life that I didn't deserve or want. I decided that since I didn't have anything to overdose on, I don't, since I don't keep things in my house because of the OD last year, that I was just going to drink myself to death and came very close. The boyfriend and my boss showed up after I admitted I had been home, I had been in bed drinking nonstop for six days and not eating and have been throwing up for days. I honestly believe my body was shutting down at this point. Anyway, this Friday, Today is Tuesday, will be my uh, sober 30 days. It's rough and I'm committed. It's rough, but I'm committed and hopeful. I found Sober Speak looking through iTunes podcast for sobriety help and meditations, and I love it. I know that I enjoy Matthew M. My, my memory is not great, but I feel like the brain fog will never go away. So although I've listened to tons of your speakers, I can't remember all of them. Thanks for all you do. Hopefully this message makes sense as I've yet to really tell anyone part of my story to this day. Thank you, Sarah. Well, Sarah, you may not have told anyone about much of your story up to this day, but <laughs> there is a lot of people who know, and thank you for sharing that. I know it will help people out there. God bless you, Sarah, and thanks for all of your feedback. Nikki writes in, wasn't Nikki somebody that... Um, What's his name? Prince used to talk about in some of his songs. I digress. I think 
that's what I remember, but I, I very well could be wrong. Anyway, Nikki writes in, I'm sure it's not the same Nikki. Uh, she says, Hey John, uh, after listening to your podcast for about a year, I was so glad to hear this past week that all I had to do was go on Facebook and request to be in the group. I never got around. It seems to initiating an email. I learned about you through Spencer on the recovery show. I love Spencer. He's a great guy. She says, I started my Al-Anon journey almost four years ago. I needed something to distract my mind in a car. So my sponsor suggested podcasts. I Googled it and found the recovery show. Such a blessing. I regular, I, I attend Al-Anon meetings on a regular basis. It is suggested in my Al-Anon meetings that I attend AA meetings as well as my regular meetings. So I consider Sober Speak my regular AA, my regular attendance in an AA meeting. I'm glad we could help you there, Miss Nikki. She says, I have so enjoyed you and your guests every week. I have learned so much about alcoholism, addiction, which helps me in recovery. As far as who I have enjoyed the most, Bill C and Gary K come to mind. One thing I took from uh, Gary K's podcast is that this last year is a slogan of mine that now helps me. It is trust God and love people. That's a good one. Trust God and love people. As I said in the, as I said about the podcast by the speaker, I had that backwards for so, oh, as said in the podcast by the speaker, I had that backwards for so many years. I trusted people first and love God second. That was a large part of my problem. Thank you so much for your weekly service, perseverance, and cheerful personality. It makes my drives to work so enjoyable and starts a long work day off in a great work in a great way. I live in Gilbert, Arizona. Nikki C, grateful member of Al-Anon. Well, thank you, Nikki C in Arizona for writing in. We sure do appreciate it. Last but not least, Kirk writes in. And Kirk says, Hi, John. Started listening to your podcast last fall, and I've heard about two dozen episodes so far. Just finished the one with Spencer from Al-Anon. There is Spencer's name again. My sobriety date is January 15th, 1991. Since our home group has not been back to the church, I started hosting in-person meetings last May. Before the meeting and after the meeting has always been a big part of my program, the humor, the feedback, etc., etc. Can't always get that on Zoom or on a phone call. I, I, I understand that uh, very much, Mr. Kurt. I was told by a friend who had been listening to Sober Speak on, on Spotify about your podcast. So I started looking it up and I found you. I don't have a specific guest that I love that much. I'm just happy with the diversity, age, gender, faith helps me to remember I am not unique. Laugh out loud. Well, thank you, Kurt. I am not unique myself, and thank you for the reminder, and thank you for the feedback. All right, everybody. That wraps up Uno Mas Week. 
Notice how I threw a little Spanglish in there. And now we're going to play you a little uh, little ditty. And uh, I always mean to, to credit him. Robert Lefevre uh, has sent... Uh, actually, Robert Lefevre actually made the music, but our friend Kamal actually sent them over to me. These are little slogans that I put on the back of the episodes nowadays. And God bless all of you. Um, keep coming back. It works if you work. I do this one week at a time. Hopefully, I'll be back next week. Uh, have a good day. Bye-bye now. Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection.